0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Amen. You go ahead and be seated, and let's take our Bibles this morning, and let's go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number 9. Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning, and uh, find your place there. And as you're finding your place there, I want to uh, ask, if you would, uh, to be praying. Many of you know Tim and Alita Jones. Uh, be praying for Alita. She, um, this last week, had some, uh, some complications with her pregnancy, and she's only at uh, 23 weeks, um, but she is in a, in a hospital in Spokane. <laughs> And they've told her that she's going to be there until she has the baby. And so that's a, if she goes there, they're praying, you know, that she'll go, of course, at least until, uh, at least 32 weeks, but the, the good side would be 36. Many of you know all of this, um, but let's just pray for her. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, they, at first they were talking, well, we're keeping you for 12 weeks, no matter what. And, uh, you know. I don't even like staying in my own house for 12 weeks, so uh, I can't imagine you know, that and going through that 12 weeks in the hospital, and so if you would pray for her, she's only two or three days in, uh, but already just sensing that that loneliness, and so pray for Alita Jones and for Tim, and many of you know Colleen and the family, and uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for this message here in just a minute. I want to pray, pray for her as well. When we do, and so let's do that. Let's just pray right now. We'll just pray uh, for the message and pray for Alita. And would you join me, Lord? Thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. And God, I want to pray right now uh, specifically for Alita. And God, I want to pray that you would just give, just give her body grace and strength. And Lord, our prayer request would be that she would um, have a healthy baby. And Lord, that she would be able to. Um, give birth uh, later on and not now, and Lord, uh, we also pray for uh, just this uh, staying in the hospital for these number of weeks. God, I pray that you'd help her not to um, to go too stir-crazy, but to uh, sense your grace and the care of your people, and Lord, that you would uh, just use this time in uh, her and Tim's life. Pray that you bless Tim and help him, and Father, that you would just be a comfort to them during this. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the, the time and the word this morning that we're about to have. We pray that you'd speak to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Nehemiah chapter number, uh, chapter number nine this morning is where we're at, and I'm messing everything up on this remote here. There we go. Thank you, Dustin. They say a good media person is someone unnoticed. Everybody wave at Dustin, would you? <laughs> They did, all the all the media guys and sound guys do a great job so well Nehemiah chapter number nine if you are just joining us we are uh, in a series studying out the life of a man by the name of Nehemiah now we first meet Nehemiah of course in Nehemiah chapter number one he's the king's cupbearer he is uh, artaxerxes the king of the media Persian Empire uh, Nehemiah is his cupbearer, and Nehemiah is a pretty high-ranking servant. Some would look at the cupbearer and say that was pretty low, but it actually, uh, in reality, it was a very high and uh, lofty position. It was somebody that was respected. It was somebody that the king knew could be trusted. It was somebody that they uh, desired the opinion of. And so this is Nehemiah. But as we meet Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter number one, the word of God tells us that his brother Hanani had traveled 850 miles from Shushan, the media Persian. Empire, winter palace. He had traveled from Shushan, 850 miles all the way to Jerusalem. And Hanani comes back and, and meets his brother. And Nehemiah says to Hanani, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? How are the people? And Hanani relays to him, to Nehemiah, this burden. Man, the people are not doing well. The people are, are suffering affliction and they're in reproach. And they're actually a reproach to the name of God right now. And the, the city walls are broken down and the gates are burned. And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah, he just became very burdened, very burdened for this. And for four months, he prayed, God, what can I do? God, what can I do about this? And of course, we read in the story that God opens the door and uses Nehemiah to travel the 850 miles back to the land of his heritage, a place that he had never lived, but a people that he truly loved. And Nehemiah travels the 850 miles to Jerusalem, and for 52 days, He leads the people in constructing the wall, the city wall. Now they get done with the wall, and of course you would think that they're kind of like, okay, all right, we're done, and Nehemiah would leave. But then we've been learning and listening as Nehemiah and Ezra, the scribe, as they stand up and begin to declare to the people, hey, it's never been about the wall. It's always been about the people hey, people, God wants a relationship with you. And and we were there in Nehemiah chapter 7 and Nehemiah chapter number 8 as the people began to realize that the whole purpose behind the wall was getting the hearts of the people to turn back to God. They were getting it. They were understanding God's not interested in just a building. God's interested in, in the people within the wall. And the same is true in the church. We need to understand this today that God's not interested in just buildings, and God's not interested in just momentum. God's not interested in just a bunch of accomplishments. He's not interested in just a bunch of programs. God's interested in you. He's interested in me. He's interested in us following him from the heart. As we come this morning to Nehemiah chapter number 9, before we jump into it, I just want to I wonder this morning if there's been a time in your life when you've had to say to somebody, hey, it's time to get serious. Hey, it's, hey, hey, it's time to get serious. If you have kids, there's been times you've done that. In our home right now, of course, we have our three, and then many of you know, uh, we have the other three, uh, Tommy, Savannah, and Asher. So there's six children in our home right now. And I can tell you that every day, every day is so at some point in the day, me or Hannah will say to the kids, all right, it's time to get serious. Usually, it's at night. Usually, it's night. We try to, we try to pray together. We try to maybe read a little devotion, and, and we don't do it every night, but we try, we try every night to at least pray together and, and spend some time together. And I'm telling you what, the kids are just like I was, and they're probably just like you were. Because when your mom says, hey... It's almost time for bed. That's when like, all the sugar hits your brain, and you get all the energy. And you're like, but mom, I'm not tired. But mom, I'm not, I'm not tired. Mom, I, I just... No, I'm dad, I'm done. And it's all the energy in the world. That happens to all of the kids. Dennis, he's helping the kids today, kids class. Dennis is just now to the point where when it's like bedtime, he's like, yeah, I'm done. Like, let's... Let's get this process rolling. Like, let's go. Come on. You know, I'm, I'm ready for bed. There's even been a few nights where it's like 830, and he's like, hey, can we pray now? Because I'm ready for bed. Who are you? And what would you do with my son? <clears throat> but not the rest of the kids. The rest of the kids, it's like energy level goes up. And you know what we always have to do? I always have to say, all right, hey, 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 calm down. Okay, calm down. Guys, hey, hey, it's time to get serious hey, it's time to get serious. Maybe you've had that moment with your family. Maybe you've had that moment because you've played sports. You ever played with a person that was just naturally athletic and they could just like turn it on? Many of you know the Blem's who just recently moved from here. They were with us for uh, three or four years, but Daniel Blem, Daniel and I grew up together. And you all know that, lifelong friend, Daniel was one of those athletes. He was one of those athletes that he could just like, like flip a switch inside of his brain and turn it on. I remember playing basketball with Daniel in fifth and sixth grade. And in the sixth grade, we had a very, very good basketball team. In the sixth grade, we (coughs) played—excuse me—for our little Christian school, and we had kids on the team. I'm I'm not exaggerating to say that we had we had two boys on the team. One of them. Um, he was six foot two or six foot three, and the other one was like six one in the sixth grade. Uh, one of them could dunk already; could dunk a basketball in the sixth grade. His name was Zach. He was he was just an incredible basketball player. There was another player on our team. His name was Mitch. Mitch was about he was about five foot five, five foot six. And Mitch, his dad, at one time, was a professional golfer. And so Mitch kind of was naturally athletic. Mitch could shoot the ball from anywhere, anywhere on the court. And from half court in, he would make it. He could could sink a three, a three-point shot. He could make it from anywhere. Needless to say, it was awesome playing basketball that season. Now, I didn't play much (laughs) because I wasn't naturally athletic. But I can tell you that there were plenty of games that we would have the starting five in, and Daniel Blim was always on the starting five, and Daniel was one that he wasn't the best shot. He couldn't jump the highest, but Daniel had, every coach saw it, Daniel had hustle, and every coach saw it, and they were like, you can't teach hustle. You can't teach it. You just, you either hustle or you don't, and I can remember plenty of games where we would be down by four or five points, and the coach would say, all right, boys, if you want to lose, then keep playing the way you're playing. But if you want to win, it's time to hustle. And it's like Dan would just, a switch would just go. And he's like Tasmanian devil. He's like a little, a little pinball going doo, 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 all over the court for that fourth quarter. And, and he would you know have like seven assists and we'd score 13 or 14 points and win the game by 10. It was just like I heard, I heard it's time to get serious. I'm getting serious. Maybe you've been around those people. It's happened in your family. All of us have those times of it's time to get serious. As we come to Nehemiah chapter number nine, I see this mindset beginning to click with the people because the people are just now realizing, you know what, God's interested in a relationship with us. You know what, it's never really been about the wall. You know what, the people begin to realize, and it's time to get serious about some things for God. It's time to turn it on. It's time to step up. There's a few things that we're gonna see from Nehemiah chapter nine of the people getting serious about, and I want you to notice them with me. So let's take our Bibles, and if you would, stand with me just for a few minutes as we read Nehemiah chapter number nine. And we're going to read uh, six verses out of Nehemiah nine, and then we'll preach the entire chapter. And of course, looking forward to next week's study as well. But Nehemiah chapter nine, verse number one: The word of God says this. Now, in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua and Benai and Kadmiel and Shebaniah and Bunai and Sherebiah and Benai and Chennai. You like all those names? And they cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, and Kadmiel, and Benaiah, and Hashabniah, and Sherebiah, and Hodijah, or Hodijah, excuse me, I'm sorry, I mispronounced that one, Shebaniah and Pethahiah, they said, stand up, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Now, if you would skip all the way down to the end of the chapter, to verse number 38. Verse number 38. The people say this, because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests and seal unto it the people of Nehemiah in Nehemiah 9 they're finally realizing that God is interested in them and they're finally starting to get serious and we're going to see what they get serious about but really just for the sake of kind of getting to the point this morning they're just here to say you know what God we're ready to get serious about you. God, we've been, we've been kind of lollygagging around. God, we've been kind of dragging our feet. And Lord, we want you to know that it's time to get serious. This morning, we're going to see what they got serious about, the decisions they made, and how it applies to us. And so we've already prayed, but let's just ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. Dear God, would you please help us? Father, I pray that you would work in, uh, in the service right now, Father, that you'd speak into our lives from your word. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we find our place in Nehemiah this morning, I want us to see, first of all, that the people, they get serious about exalting God. I see the people getting serious about exalting God. <clears throat> As we open up to Nehemiah 9, we need to remember kind of what has taken place. If you go to the very first verse that we read... In Nehemiah chapter number one, it says that on the 20 and fourth day, on the 20 and fourth day, well, the 20 and fourth day of what? Well, it's the 24th day of the month of October. If you'll remember with us, and we talked very briefly about this last week, that the beginning of October, Rosh Hashanah, the uh, Jewish New Year, would lead then into the Day of Atonement, uh, which would be uh, October 10th. And of course, that Rosh Hashanah would be a a feast period of seven or eight days of celebration that they would talk about, the uh, feast of the shofar, the feast of trumpets. And then on October 15th, on October 15th, they would begin another feast, the, the feast of tabernacles, where they would recall the goodness of God. And so what has been taking place for 24 days? When we read the and fourth day of October, what were they doing? For 24 days, 24 days, the people of Israel, they were getting in the word of God, For 24 days, they were celebrating their history and what God had done for them. For 24 days, they were praising God. For 24 days, they were confessing their sins to God. For 24 days, they were saying, God, we're getting serious. But When we look in the beginning of our passage, it tells us that they were exalting God. Look at verse number uh, number 1. Or excuse me, verse number three. It says that they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day and another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped God. Now we skip down to verse number five and notice what it says. All those people, those names that we read. Notice what they stood up and said. They said, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou. Even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein, and thou thou preservest them all. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee, thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram. And broughtest him forth out of the Ur of the Chaldees and gavest him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Girgashites to give it, I say, to his seed and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea, and showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and all his servants, and on all his servants, and on all the people of his land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name, as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors thou threwest into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, Thou leddest them in the day with by a cloudy pillar and in the night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and spake with them from heaven and gave us them right judgments and true laws, good and statutes and commandments and made us known unto them thy holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant and gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought us forth water for them out of, the, out of the rock for their thirst and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hadst sworn to give them. That's a long portion of scripture, but what, is, what are these leaders doing with the people? They're standing up and they stand up and they say, hey, it is time to bless God. Hey, it's time to reflect upon the goodness of God. Hey, it is time to exalt who God is. And just to help remind you, this is, this is their leaders, just to help remind you who God is, they get up and they simply say, God, we want your name to be exalted, God. You are the Lord over everything, God. You created everything. You are worshipped by everything. You brought Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and you changed his name to Abraham. And you you promised him a land, and you followed through. Even though we disappointed you, you followed through with your word. And then you delivered us from Egypt, and you you dealt with our persecutors, and you led us by a flame of fire at night and a cloud of, a, a cloud of pillar by the a pillar cloud by the day, you know what they're doing? They're just reflecting upon all of the many blessings of God. And if you look, they're basically saying, God, you are worthy of all of the worship that we can give. I wish we had time to do it, but simply they were exalting God for all that he had done for them. And they continue all the way through the passage. We can't read all of it, but I want to highlight a few verses. Look at verse number 18. They said, yea, when they, their forefathers, had made them a molten calf and said, this is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations, they provoked God. They said, yet thou, God, in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. You continued to lead them. Verse 19, he would say, you continue to provide for them. Verse number 19 and 20, for 40 years thou didst sustain them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Man, you provided continually food and clothing and shelter, and their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Hey, God, you you took care of your people. Skip down to verse number 26. The people recount, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them against thee, and they wrought great provocations Therefore, thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies. Man, God, your people kind of turned against you, and so you eventually just said, okay, I'm going I'm to let your enemies overpower you, but look what it says. And in their time of trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors, judges, who saved them out of the hand of their enemies, but... After they had rest, they did evil again before thee, therefore thou leftest them in the hand of their enemies so that they would have dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies. He says the same thing in verse 30 and 31, which we won't take time to read. But basically in all of these verses, you know what? The people are doing is they're summarizing, God, we just want to take a minute and recognize that you are worthy to be exalted. And the people were saying, hey, it's time that we get serious about praising him and about exalting him. I love the summary of this in verse number 17. The people say this, but thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness and forsookest them not. Can I simply say this morning that these people were taking time to recognize that God never failed them. He was an amazing, forgiving, grace-giving, merciful, patient, kind, and faithful God. And you know what they did? They got serious about exalting and glorifying God because they recognized of his character towards them. Can I say today that God is better to us than any of us deserve. And I wonder what would, get ha- what, what would happen. What would happen if some of God's people said, you know what, we're gonna get serious about praising God. I fear that all too often we, um, all too often we like to reflect upon what God hasn't done for us. I, I'm, maybe I'm just speaking to myself, but I know in my life, There's times that I look and I say, God, I feel like you let me down there. God, you didn't answer that prayer request the way I thought. God, you, I wonder if we could have a paradigm shift and begin to reflect of all the things God has done for us. And I wonder if we could do that. If we could do that, do you know where we we would end up? We would end up at the same place they are saying, God, we're going to be serious about praising you because you are way better to me than I deserve. God, you've provided. God, you've forgiven. God, you continue to to show mercy and direction. God, you continue to meet needs. God, you come through and you do things that I don't even ask for you to do, and yet you still do them and you still provide for them. And we would be like those in the New Testament that said, God, we don't understand why you would provide for us, but God, you continue to do it. We'd be like the psalmist in Psalm 139 that says, God, you know everything about me, and yet you, you allow your presence to continue and walk with me and this morning God is better to us than any of us deserve and since he's faithful and tremendously kind to us it would be good for us to get serious about exalting him that's what they get serious about they got serious they got serious about saying God we just want to point to you and lift you up secondly this morning they got serious about recognizing their sin they got serious about recognizing their sin we briefly looked at this last week but notice it with me again in verse number 2 <clears throat> Verse number two, the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. In Nehemiah chapter nine and verse number two, for the first time in generations, they are realizing who they are before God. They're discovering that Many of their forefathers had totally neglected God and walked away from God. And now these in Nehemiah chapter 9, they're beginning to realize, man, we've got to come back to a place of getting serious about worshiping God. But when you get serious about worshiping God, God is going to magnify some of the sins in your life. We saw in Nehemiah chapter 9 in verse number 1, excuse me, last week that they, they they started fasting. What is fasting? It's recognizing their need, saying, God, we want you more than anything. They put sackcloth upon them. It's that uh, discomfort upon their skin, saying, God, our, our sin is, is discomforting to us, just like this, uh, this sackcloth upon our skin. They put earth upon them an admission of their humility before God. What are the, three verses of, uh, the first three verses of Nehemiah chapter 9 saying? It's helping us understand the people were not only recognizing who God was, but they were recognizing who they were. And not only were they recognizing who they were, they were recognizing all of the sins of those that had gone before them. Notice in verse 16, they are for our forefathers. They dealt proudly and they hardened their necks. And hearken not unto thy commandments, they refused to obey. You can go to verse number, uh, verse number 26, "Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and they slew thy prophets, which testified against them, and turned them to thee and, to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Verse 28, "After they had rest, they did evil again before thee, therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them." Verse number thirty-three and thirty-four, howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither of our priests, or our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers, kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. In all these verses, you know what these people were doing? They we're realizing, man, God, we truly are unworthy of everything you've done because we're sinful. Can I say this morning that when we begin to reflect upon the faithfulness of our holy God, it will magnify our sin. And we'll get serious, we'll get serious about recognizing sin. They were serious about recognizing and confessing sin, and I wonder this morning, when's the last time that you got serious about recognizing your sin? When's the last time you looked into your life to recognize and confess the sin that so easily captures your heart and your attention? When is the last time that you came before the Lord broken like David to say, have mercy upon me, O God? Have mercy upon me according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin and is ever before thee and against thee. Thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest to be clear, when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When's the last time you got serious like David did to say, God, I recognize how holy you are. God, how sinful I am. Unfortunately, many of us, we defend and rationalize and even excuse our sin. We compare our sin to that of the sin of others, and we justify it. Well, I'm not like. Well, I I didn't do it like. We're like that child who says, but do you know what they did? Hey, you're in trouble. Yeah, but do you know what they did? We find here a people that in humility, they confess their sin. Say, Pastor, what does that mean to confess our sin? I thought our sin is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. You're 100% correct. Do you know that when you trusted Christ as Savior, the word of God says that all of your sin is forgiven and forgotten by an almighty God? You know, when you and I confess our sin, we're not confessing to ask for forgiveness. No, confession has three parts to it, and we'll see these three parts in this passage right here. Confession, first off, it has admission. Confession is admitting I have done wrong. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9, it says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the word confess in that passage, 1 John 1, 9, is homo legeo. It's two Greek words. Homo, H-O-M-O, meaning of the same. Legeo, it means to speak. So the word confess means to speak the same. It means to agree with God that your sin is as bad as he said it is. You see, God's going to call sin, sin. He's going to call it what it is, and he's not going to put cosmetics on it like we do. We like to make up our sin, put makeup on it, doctor it up. He's not going to try to doctor it up. He exposes sin for what it really is. And admission in sin is admitting, saying, God, I recognize that sin is as bad as you said it was. I confess, God, that I look at sin the same way that you do. There's admission. But then there's contrition. There's contrition. The psalmist said it this way, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Contrition is sorrow of heart. Contrition is to be sorry for. You know when we confess our sins sometimes we do it reluctantly. Well God I I confess this but God I I but a conviction in your uh, contrition is a conviction in your heart that says God I recognize my sin and I sorrow over it. God I I want to look at it the same way you do. It has confession has admission contrition but then also Confession has intention, and we'll see this in just a minute. The intention is, I intend to never go back. God, I don't, want to ever, I don't want to ever do that again. God, I don't want to ever say that again. And you know what these people are doing? They're coming to God. They're saying, God, we confess that our sin is grievous before you, and it's grievous before us. God, we come before you with a contrite spirit, a broken spirit that says we are sorrowful for our sin. And God, we intend not to go back down that road. I wonder this morning, when's the last time that your prayer life had this in it? Oh, you see, what we like to do sometimes is we come, we say, Dear God, I just want to pray that you'd forgive me for all the areas that I fail you. Dear Jesus, just forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong. Listen, if if you have Christ in your heart, you trusted him as your Savior, confession is not for forgiveness. His forgiveness was complete on the cross. Confession is you saying, God, I recognize that that sin has broken my fellowship with you. Oh, I still have the relationship, but God, the fellowship is broken because you're a holy God and that sin has hindered my fellowship with you. I confess that it's as bad as you said it is. God, I come before you broken, no excuses. And God, I come before you with an intention that says I'm not going back down that road. I wonder what would happen if we got serious about recognizing sin. They got serious about exalting God. They got serious about recognizing sin. Notice thirdly this morning, and very quickly, they got serious about breaking the pattern. They got serious about breaking the pattern. Skip down to verse number 36. The people say on this day, Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in a great distress. And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. In these verses, we find these people describing their circumstances at this point in history. You see, at this point in history, as a result of the rebellion of their forefathers against God, the Hebrew people, they were servants in their own land. They were paying taxes to a king who was not from their land. They were not allowed to just dwell in their own land and have the freedoms. No, they were in subjugation to another kingdom. That's what they're explaining in these verses. And in verse number 38, they write, Hey, because of all, we, rec- we recognize that we're servants because our forefathers sinned before you. We're servants because they neglected you, because they turned their back against you. And verse 38, they say, because of all of this, we're making a covenant that we break the pattern. We're making a covenant, God, that we're not going down the same path they went down. We're making a covenant, God, that our forefathers rebelled against you. We are not going to. And the entire next chapter The entire next chapter, which we'll see next week, is the covenant they made. And they all signed their names to it. And they set a seal to it. We'll see that in just a second. But here's the thought that they get at. God, we're going to be different. God, things are going to change. Their thought here is we're going to make a change. We are breaking the pattern. If you have multiple children in the home, and you can probably connect with this illustration. Micah is our youngest son. And Micah has always been an observant child. He's always watched. And Hannah and I often will talk, huh, Micah didn't do the same things that some of the other kids did. And we, she'd, she'd bring it up oftentimes when, when Micah was real little. And he'd be three, four, and five years old, and he would watch Dennis, who's three years older than him. He'd watch Dennis get in trouble, and it's almost like you could—I'm not exaggerating. You can ask Ken afterwards. It's almost like you would look at him, and you'd look at Micah, having watched Dennis get in trouble, and you just see the wheels turning. Now he was thinking one of two things: A, he's thinking I'm just not going to get caught. <laughs> or B, he was thinking I am not going to do that. Most of the time. It was B. I mean it. Most of the time, you know what Micah did? He saw the mistake of his brother or the mistake of his sister, and he was like, I am not doing that because I do not want that punishment. I am not gonna say that. I heard him say that. I'm not saying, you know what? He learned, he learned from the bad decisions of somebody else. You know what he learned? He learned, I'm not gonna do that. Now, is Micah perfect? No, not at all. Now, Micah's still got his issues too. But here's the thought I'm getting at this morning. The thought is this, that you and I, we've got to be able to look at the decisions of others and learn from them and break the pattern. You know what the people in Nehemiah chapter 9 were doing? They were looking back and they were saying, God, we recognize all of the mistakes that the previous generations have made. God, we are getting serious about breaking the pattern." And I want to say this morning that you don't have to stay in the same cycle as those who have gone before you. Too often, we allow the lives of others to define our direction. We allow the decisions of a mom or a dad or a friend, we allow the decisions that they made, we allow those decisions to dictate where we go. We blame our failures on the failures of those who have gone before us. And I just want to say this morning that your life is not defined by the bad decisions of others. I say, say it again, your life does not need to be defined by the bad decisions of others. Hey, you can break the pattern. What does that mean? It means just because your parents were angry people and maybe abusive, it doesn't mean that you have to be an angry person and abusive. Just because you saw a marriage fail in your family, it doesn't mean that your marriage has to fail. And just because your siblings maybe turn to some sort of vice, it doesn't mean that you are supposed to travel the same road. And for the teenagers, just because your mom or your dad, they, they talk about sowing their wild oats, doesn't mean that you have to go down that same road. Listen, you can break the pattern. And I wonder this morning what would happen if some Christians in here would say, I'm done living in the shadows of those that have gone before me. I break the pattern. I'm not going down the same direction. I'm not making the same mistakes. I am not going to repeat history in my family. I am going to break the pattern. That's what these people were doing. They were getting serious about breaking the pattern. Maybe this morning you're not stuck in the pattern of someone else. You're stuck in your own pattern. Can I say that you don't have to be stuck in your own pattern. You can break that too. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of setting yourself up to make a different decision. Hey, quit letting your past determine your future. Quit letting the past of others determine your future. Get serious about breaking the pattern. Some of us, That know the scripture, we might look in the Bible and we see the, the cyclical behavior of the children of Israel. You say, Pastor, what do you mean cyclical behavior of the children of Israel? The children of Israel, they were like, God, we love you. And then something would steal their attention, and they'd stray from God. And then they'd get further from God. And then something would happen in their life to cause their attention to turn back to God. And then they'd be like, Oh, God, we love you again. And there was just this circle. Of God, we love you. Walk away from God. Something gets your attention. God, we turn back to you. God, we love you. Something you know, happens to draw your heart away from God. It's just cyclical. You know what some of us need to do? We need to break that pattern in our lives. Hey, that's sin. It doesn't have to be a vice in your life. Hey, hey. Uh, just, because, just because before you uh, lied by habit, you can break that habit. Hey, before you might have uh, gossiped and been the, the backbiter that talked about everybody and caused division in your home. Hey, you don't have to do that anymore. Hey, before you might've been addicted to, uh, to pornography or to something of that sexual nature. Hey, you don't have to be addicted to that anymore. You might've been an alcoholic that just turned to that bottle every time things got tough. Hey, you don't have to do that anymore. It's a matter of setting yourself up to say, God, I'm serious about breaking decision. Listen, I wonder what victory is right around the corner for you if you would break the pattern, if you would make the decision, to say, God, I'm not. I'm not. It's not cyclical anymore. God, my line is going to be straight. God, my path is going to be one direction, not a circle, just repeating itself. No, I'm serious about breaking the pattern. I see this morning the people of Israel. They got serious about some things. What they get serious about? They got serious about. They got serious about exalting God. God, we just want to lift you up. You're merciful and gracious. Well, how did they, why did they want to exalt God so much? Because they were getting serious about recognizing their own sin. Hey, God, we see where we failed you. God, we see where we've come short. And God, we want to get serious about confessing, admitting, having that humble spirit with intentionality that we're not going back down that road. God, we got serious about breaking the pattern. What's the last thing they got serious about? I say today that the last thing they got serious about is committing to the Lord. The last thing they got serious about is committing to the Lord. I want you to notice the last three words, the last three words of chapter nine, verse number 38, last four words, it says, and seal unto it, and seal unto it. If you have your Bible open right there, those of you that do, just look at chapter number 10. Do you see all the names that are listed? Do you see all the names there? We're gonna see all those names and the covenant that they made next week But I want you to look at all those names. You know, all those names represent all those names represent people who signed their name to this covenant, people who signed their name and the names of their families to this covenant. We're going to discover much of this next week. But what we find in verse chapter nine, verse number 38 is the people simply saying, hey, enough talk. Hey, we've talked about praising God. Hey, we've, we've talked about the goodness of God. Hey, we've talked about doing something different. Enough talk. Put the seal to it. Now, what is this phrase, put the seal to it or and seal unto it? This is a, a seal, not like that you would see at SeaWorld, but a different type of a seal. A seal, this would be something that they would have a document they would have a document, create a document that everybody would, would, uh, um, would read and would agree to. And then they would take uh, moldable clay, hot clay, and they'd put that clay on that, on that document. And then uh, the family would put their family seal. They would put that stamp that was their family insignia. They would put it on there so that when that clay would harden up, that, that seal was not going anywhere. We would liken it to putting your John Hancock on something. Well, what is that? It's signing your name, signing your name to it. You know what these people were serious about? They were serious about making this commitment. (laughs) I don't mean to be redundant, but they're serious about making a commitment to be serious. That's what they were doing. Uh, Hey, enough talk. Sign your name. Hey, if you're really serious about this, Sign your name. You know, this morning, for them, this signing of their names, it was a big deal. It was them committing to follow through. It was them opening themselves up for accountability. It was now a non-negotiable. It was now more than just what they said. They wrote it down in a contract, and they signed their name to it. You know, in your life and in my life, sometimes we just need to sign our name. And again, we're going to dig really deep into this next week on Mother's Day. But sometimes you and I, we, we like the thought of following God. We like the thought of seeing God bless and and exalting God. And we like the thought of even recognizing our own sin and realizing how incredible God has been to us. We like the thought of breaking the pattern. But we don't make the step. We don't say, God, I'm serious about this. My dad said it years ago. He, uh, maybe he'd be at a church camp or something like that. And there'd be a guy, he'd say, I want you to get a letter out, and I want you to write your name, and, and I want you to write all the plans that you have for God. And people would get their letter out and write out, you know, get their piece of paper out, and they'd write all these plans they have for God. He'd say, all right, now I want you to sign your name to it. Everybody would sign their name to it. He'd say, now I want you to tear it up. He'd tear it up. It's all right, now I want you to get another piece of paper. Leave it blank, and at the bottom, just sign your name to it. Because what we do is we want to make our plans and say, God, I sign my name to my plans. But what God wants is a blank page for us to say, God, I just signed my name to your plans. I wonder how could your family change today if you'd take out a blank sheet of paper this morning? Oh, not, not literally, but in your own mind, in your own heart to say, God, I'm serious. Hey, enough playing games. I don't need to talk about the craziness that our world is in right now. I don't need to talk about all the upheaval. I don't need to talk about all the politics. I don't need to talk about the racial divisions. I don't need to talk about the, the uh, religious divisions and everything going on. Listen, just turn on the news for five minutes, and you'll realize our world is in a mess. I tell you this morning that the one thought that God put on my heart that, I, that I, I hope would come across today is what this world needs is some Christians who say, God, it's time to get serious. Hey, God, it's, just, it's, it's, time, to, it's time to get serious. Well, what should I get serious about? These thoughts are a good place to start. Hey, God, I want to get serious about glorifying you with my life. I want, to get, I want to get serious about exalting God. That's what the people did. God, we just want to lift you up. I want to get serious about recognizing my own sin. God, I, I recognize that I fail you. But Father, I also recognize that you continue to give grace and mercy. And God, I'm not going to say I fail you so that I can continue in the same pattern. God, I'm going to get serious about breaking the pattern. I intend not to go back down that road. God, I'm serious about making commitments to you. I wonder how could our culture be affected? How would our culture be affected if Christians in here? How would Moses Lake be affected? How would your school, your family, your workplace, how would it be affected if today you said, God, it's time to get serious? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.